I am but a humble servant. It is episode 30 of For Our Edification. Thanks for joining us on this episode of For Our Edification, the podcast where we unpack the repack. We unpack how everyday stuff can affect the value of identity so you can repack it for your life journey and use it however you will. I'm Eddie Francis, and you can find past episodes of For Our Edification by going to eddiefrancis.com. You can also check out YouTube wherever you get your podcasts. So if you are a servant leader, what does that say about you? Are you someone who's just giving it all to people and 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 you have basically no control of what's going out there to the world? Or do you see yourself as being in control of the service that you do? So we unpack this with Jenny Petty. She is someone who loves talking about servant leadership. As a matter of fact, she's a marketer who has a podcast called The Servant Marketer. So Let's get into this episode of Our Edification. The views and opinions expressed on For Our Edification do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the hosts, guests, or any entities with which we are affiliated. Joining me on For Our Edification is someone I have been wanting to talk to on a podcast for the longest because she is so cool and she works for a cool president. On top of all of this, I'm actually kind of insanely jealous of you, Jenny, about that. But but Jenny Petty um, is the host of a great podcast called The Servant Marketer, and she's also the vice president for marketing and communications at the University of Montana. Jenny, welcome to For Our Edification. We got to ter- we got to talk servant leadership. We got to talk servant leadership. Um, how are you? How, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. We're just, you know, wrapping up the academic year. And so it's always just a joy to get to commencement and see, you know, as marketers, I feel like we're not always totally in touch with the student experience, but that commencement is such an important day to celebrate and see the work that we all do together to to change lives. So I'm good. Commencement is really cool because, you know, the the thing I really enjoyed about commencement were were was seeing all the people who the non-traditional students i love seeing the non-traditional students graduate um i remember the first the first commencement i worked as a pr director there was a woman who was 70 years old getting her degree and when they announced her the 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 arena went nuts i mean it went nuts and i was like oh this is i was like okay 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 i love doing this <laughs> and so yeah, yeah, that was really, that was so cool. It's really special. I think, you know, um, somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago, like, are you sure you want to stay working in higher ed? And the truth of the matter is, even with all the criticism that we were facing as an industry, it still is so meaningful to be involved in education and in this work. And, you know, I think about some of my best moments have always been at school. Um, learning, I just continue to love to learn. So I think it's a hard industry right now, but it's still one that's very worth the time and energy. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk about your interest in servant leadership. Um, where did it come from? When did you decide that you were gonna you were gonna really, really take this interest and really start to talk publicly about the importance of servant leadership? Um, 
So gosh, probably in about 20, I had my last baby in 2016. I have three kids and I had my last one. And so it was like, okay, we're, we're closing out this chapter of having little babies. And I decided I wanted to get my master's, which is something I had wanted to do for a really, really long time. And so I started looking for programs. I found the organizational leadership program at Gonzaga, and then I convinced myself that it was too expensive and I couldn't do it. And so I started a program at another online, um, well-known online school. And I did about four classes. So I was pretty into it. But what I found through that experience was uh, it felt very cookie cutter. I was writing these 20 page papers. I was pretty sure it was being, my work was being graded by AI. I wasn't like creating relationships with people. And so after I finished the fourth class and I had these tiny kids, still a tiny baby, I just said to myself, if this is what getting a master's is like, I don't, I don't want to do this. Mm. And so I stopped. And the next, next year was like really a very, um, just a year of a lot of self-reflection and growth as a leader. And um, I took some time to, you know, think about uh, in my life, like I've spent a lot of time supporting a lot of other people. And I finally kind of came to this realization that there was never going to be a time when it was my turn. Like I just had to take Mm. my turn. And so um, I, you know, I went to, I said to my husband one day, who is my biggest supporter in rock. And I said to him, Hey, like, I know this is going to be expensive and I'm going to have to take out loans, but I just feel so compelled to do this program at Gonzaga. Um, And he said, okay, let's do it. And so I had never heard of servant leadership before um, Gonzaga. They have a servant leadership concentration as part of the organizational leadership program. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that terminology, it definitely piqued my interest. Yeah. And I think it piqued my interest because my experience with leadership was (laughs) I had a lot of bad bosses early on. Um, You know, I obviously had to work on myself as a professional, but just kind of a string of managers where it was like, you weren't a person, you were a means to an end. And then I had the experience of working for two women back to back, um, Julie Brown and Stacey Alonzo at two different companies who showed me how I could show up in a nurturing feminine way and still be really strong and still show up as a leader. And that, that kind of changed everything. So I found this servant leadership program. It was the first class I took from Gonzaga and it was like opening presents as a kid on Christmas morning. You know, like (laughs) I was like the biggest nerd in the class. Like I couldn't wait to write. I couldn't wait to read all the material. Like I just fell in love with it. And servant leadership was a term that was coined by a man named um, Robert Greenlee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Robert was a, an AT&T executive his whole career. He worked in what we would now call like organizational development. But back then it was just training. <laughs> and when he um, retired after like 40 years at AT&T, he just started writing about his experiences and he coined the term servant leadership, wrote a great essay you can find out there. It's called um, The Leader as Servant. And I fell in love with it. I just, it was like the first time that it collect, it connected for me that I could be the type of leader that I wanted to work for. Um, and I could show up as a woman and be nurturing and kind and also strong and tough at the same time. So um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a like 
evangelical uh, servant leader person. <laughs> that is, you know what is so funny about this, and you and I could probably so we could probably go on for a long time about this because around the same time you were considering grad school, I was considering grad school, and I so so what was your first what was your first semester of grad school? Uh, it probably would have been in twenty seventeen. We went. We entered grad school at the same time. This is hilarious. So, I started grad school fall of seventeen at Tennessee State in their strategic leadership program. I actually considered Gonzaga, and and so I for whatever reason, you know what, I didn't apply to Gonzaga's program because um I went to Loyola New Orleans undergrad. So I was like, okay, well I know the Jesuit, yeah, know the Jesuit sensibility about this. It would be very interesting if I were to see this uh, kind of, you know, strategic leadership or organizational leadership um, from from a state university perspective. And the other thing is, I actually wanted to write a check to an HBCU, you know, to to do to do this program. And the same thing happened. Like I had heard of servant leadership before I started the program, but we did we did read Greenleaf. And so. Same thing happened to me. I was just like, oh, this is so cool. The story of Leo and the journey. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, they didn't realize that they were with the, the people that Leo was uh, was serving and going. They didn't realize they were with the leader the entire time, you know. Yeah. And so it was the same thing with me. And I, I had the same early career experience. I, I had I had some not so great bosses. <laughs> and so. But what happened with me was, is that I ran into a bunch of these bosses who were just, you know, and leaders, not just bosses, but leaders who were so self-centered and it was just self-interest all the way. And, you know, I, and I showed you my paper. I wound up actually researching narcissism and leadership because I was like, I need to know what, what drives this. And, and I need to know why is it that people are looking at somebody who they know is only interested in themselves, yet they still say, I'm going to put all my faith in you. And uh-huh. I just, I didn't understand it. So I had to research it. And this is so funny that that we did it at the same time um, and we have the same interest. And, and probably like you, when I finished my program at Tennessee State, um, my view on leadership was so different. Actually, it was different the first semester. Um, it changed the very first semester because the first class I took was ethics and professions. And so, um, and so, yeah, this is so funny. This is absolutely, <laughs> did you, oh, so wait, did you have to, um, did you have to do, did they have, did you have, you, did they have you do some research on the, oh, it's the Center for Ethics at Santa Clara. Did you have to do, uh, cite any of their work by any chance? You know, I took a whole class about uh, communication ethics and it was fascinating. It was, I don't remember, I can't remember specifically if we looked at the Santa Clara work, but yeah, I just, what I remember from that class is um, the idea of the other um, and thinking about how frequently in our lives we other groups of people to make ourselves feel less scared. That was a big takeaway. Um we also did a lot of work around dialogue versus discussion, which I still use to this day, learning some of those ways of um, coming at something from perspective of dialogue and not 
uh, discussion. So I, just every class I took there was unbelievable. I, gosh, if I had money right now, I would go get my PhD from Gonzaga because I just found the approach. I, you know, I did the opposite of you. I did my undergrad at a um, University of Nevada, which is a state school, yeah. and then went and had this great yeah. Jesuit experience. And it was so, it was just profoundly meaningful for me. It's the best thing I've done for myself as an adult. Um, and I love that we get to connect about it because it's not very often I run into people who have read Greenleaf or know Herman Hesse's work uh, that that spurred Greenleaf. So it's very exciting to to get nerdy with you, Eddie. All right. So tell you what. So, Jenny, what we're going to do is we're going to put it out there for you. We're going to put it in the atmosphere, in the universe that you're going to get funded to do a Ph.D. program. We're going to put it out there. All right. I love it. I'll manifest it with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Because actually, I need the same thing. <laughs> we'll manifest it for each other. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I think one of the neatest things that you have done, though, is that you have found a way to bake servant leadership into your work as a marketing and a communications leader. So how have you done that? And why did you where, where did you see the opportunity to do that? And how has it worked for you? Yeah. So, you know, I started the Servant Marketer podcast as my capstone project for my master's. So oh, very cool. Uh, that was like my big project. And I came up with the idea. So the Gonzaga program is super cool because it's hybrid. Mm-hmm. So you do some time on campus. And so um, with three little kids, I get very little time to like be around adults and think and read. And so I was coming back from one of those hybrid experiences, which were just so meaningful because what the thing I love about the program is how much it drives community. And so I still talk to some of my classmates because it just makes, you're so bonded with them. And I was on the plane and I was coming back and I was just thinking about servant leadership and thinking about, my homework was like to create, so like create something. That was the homework for the class. And there was like no parameters. It was just like create something. And I was scribbling down and I just thought, gosh, like the thing about marketing is that we serve we serve this much bigger function, especially in higher ed, but in other industries too. It's no longer just about like enabling sales. Mm-hmm. We serve this function of building community, of connecting people, of driving a sense of belonging, of doing all of these things that made me think like those tie into the 10 characteristics of servant leadership. And so as our profession, in our profession, like I want us to just think about the work that we do differently. Like it's not just getting a consumer to buy something. I want to think about our work in a more meaningful, altruistic way. And so that drove the creation of the podcast. So for my capstone, I created 23 episodes, which was so fun. And I got to talk to just people I've long admired and found some new people to talk about servant leadership and servant marketing. And um, and then just this last year, I released 10 more episodes as kind of a special project. I did every episode is about one of the different characteristics. So oh, that's really um, cool. Yeah. So, so there's 32 episodes out there. I don't know what comes next for it. You know, making a podcast is a ton of time and energy. And um, I, I would love to probably keep doing it. I'm just not sure yet what's going to happen with it. Okay. Okay. Is So, so I think, I think was so, was really so interesting. Um, about this is that I had this conversation literally not too long ago, probably a couple of days ago with someone. And uh, there, there was someone I was talking to about uh, about the work she was doing. And 
I said, hey, you know, it would be really interesting because, you know, I, I have a, another podcast that I'm going to be doing called uh, or that I'm doing uh, called I Want to Work There. And so I, I spoke to someone about her work and I said, I would love for you to be on this podcast because you do some really interesting work and you center a lot of it on emotional intelligence and it does affect how an employer brands themselves. And she was like, well, I don't really see the connection. And I say, well, here's the deal. Most people look at branding from the outside in, but we know that in order to build a great brand, um, and I think, you know, Kate Ledger, you know, our our colleague from University of Pittsburgh, I think she said it best at the last uh, AMA symposium in November when she said great brands are built in uh, on truth. And you and I know that internally we have to be honest. Um, we know that we have to serve people. Um, and we know that there's no way the brand is going to be rich if we are faking it in some way. And, and yeah. we know, and we know also, especially in higher education, students see through that stuff. They they know yeah. that we're not telling the truth. So we really do have to approach it with a heart of service. I, I I find that really cool that you found a way to connect that. Yeah, and I think so. I'll show you. This is uh, just a card that we had made in our department of our um, our group values, and one of them mm. is understand, understand, commit to, and represent our constituents. And so I see our work exactly like what you're saying. It's to serve the consumer. It's not to manipulate the consumer. Mm. So often, you know, you find yourself in, in on campus where people will say, "Oh, well, you should be doing this. You should be marketing this." Yeah. And it's our jobs to say that's not what the consumer wants or desires or needs at mm-hmm. that stage of their journey, right? And I want I want marketers to be empowered to think that way about yeah. our work. Yeah. And I think it's important in higher ed, especially because, I mean, you know, after all, we are asking people in higher ed, we're asking them to make an investment that's going to last them a lifetime. Um, you know, this is not, this is not buying a can of peas off the shelf. I mean, this is, this is people spending a lot of money. And even those who get great financial aid or great scholarships, they are still investing a lot of time and a lot of energy in higher education because the return is supposed to last them for the rest of their lives. And so I I think, I think for people to come in (laughs) and act like, marketing is nothing but cheap parlor tricks. I I think that really, really does a disservice uh, to the consumer. And and I do find that, I I found that uh, with me, there was much more of an emotional attachment um, to, you know, to the brand, but I didn't think of the institution as a brand. I thought of the institution as an institution. Um, So so the concept of brand really took on a much different meaning for me uh, when it came down to the work that I did in higher ed. So, um, yeah, and it, but, but it's, it's kind of, it takes a bit of work to get folks on campus to understand that it's not cheap parlor tricks. <laughs> it does. You know, some campuses are easier than others. But, you know, one of my first weeks at, at Montana, um, I had somebody say to me, like, brand is icky. I don't like to think yeah. about brand. You know, it's just like, yeah, it's like a lot of education and a lot of reframing of what we do. And that can be really tiring, but... I think it's just the stage we're in right now as an industry of our maturity. It's like we are the the generation to elevate the profession and and educate people on what we do. You're listening to 
for our edification. I'm Eddie Francis, and we're talking to the very cool Jenny Petty, who is um, the host of the podcast, The Servant Marketer. Uh, she's also the vice president for marketing and communications at the University of Montana. Um, and um, uh, by the way, Jenny, I did. Uh, it, it was the it's the Marcula Center for applied ethics at Santa Clara University. And so that's so some of the work that um I had to cite in my grad program, that's some of the work. And and by the way, Santa Clara is a yet another Jesuit institution. So yes. there you go. There you have it. Um so um so I'm I'm, I'm really interested in your observation here. Um, especially since we both had experiences with bosses that might not have been so desirable at one point in our careers or a few points. Um, so how do you see servant leadership affecting followers versus how an attitude of self-interest affects followers? How have you seen that work out? Or have you have you even made that observation? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that because I think, you know, leader follower is something like in organizational leadership that's used as like really common nomenclature. Yep. But my last podcast episode was with two um, indigenous colleagues of mine from the University of Montana, Dr. Carla Bird and Dr. Selena Beaumont Hill. And we used that episode to talk about the theme of stewardship and indigenous ways of knowing. And something that blew me away was I asked them a question about um, the idea of zero sum, right? That I think happens a lot in our institutions where it's like, I can only win if you lose. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Which happens in higher ed all the time. I'm kind of mm-hmm. obsessed with it right now. I'm like reading journal articles and all sorts of stuff because I'm a nerd. All right. So yet uh, something else we can nerd out about. Yeah, that's my, I just that's my problem with social media behavior. I can only win if you lose. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, it's everywhere. I mean, talk about narcissism, right? Like that it's everywhere in our in our institutions in our culture. Um, And so I asked them and I framed it as a leader follower question. And they both said, we don't have that concept in our cultures. Like our cultures, you choose to follow someone you don't. And it's, you totally honor the spirit of the person. It's not about people being assigned work. It's like everyone's job is of equal value. And they said, you know, we had different types of leaders. We had warriors, you know, um, I don't want to use, I don't want to use the wrong terminology. So people should listen to the episode, but they had different leaders for different areas. And those people had been called to lead in that way. And then the the followers were people who chose to follow, like, or chose to, to take part of that. And so that really has totally changed the way I think just from that one conversation about thinking about the leader follower and how I want to show up as a leader, right? I want to be the type of leader that people choose to to choose to join. Mm-hmm. And I want to respect all the work that people do. Um, there's this concept in, in servant leadership called first among equals, which is this idea that the leader is no better than anyone else. They're just the one that maybe has more responsibility or more authority. But other than that, like everyone's position is, is equal. And I like to think about it that way. Like, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, all of a sudden, it's just kind of made me think completely differently about the leader follower. Um, I think definitely you've done great work. Your paper on, on narcissism and leadership and followership was fascinating. And I think you know when you're being led by someone who is motivated by self-interest and you know what that feels like. It yeah. doesn't feel great. Like, yeah. <laughs> And you don't build trust. 
And people don't want to follow you. They don't want to be a part of what you're building or doing. And, and we see that happen all over the place. Um, and sometimes through power dynamics, people are, you know, not forced, but, you know, they, it seems like they don't have any other option but to, to follow someone like that because of the, the power yeah, definitely listening to that episode, definitely, <laughs> because um, I think it's really, really important um, that the conversation you have with them really, really seems to mark that you're talking about folks who say, listen, we don't put people in a place. People find their place. It, that's what it sounds like they were saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, the way they the terminology they use is that we honor the spirit of what wow. someone desires, right? And I see that with my kids. Um, mm -hmm. my youngest is a ball full of energy and he is just off the charts um energetic all the time. And you know, you could see that as as a child who's being obstinate, or you could say, like, here's this little ball of energy, and we've got to help him and figure out, you know, a way that we can guide that energy, um, not trying to change him. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Oh, so and and if you and if you're not if you're not a leader who serves, then you're probably someone who's saying, well, I need to figure out where to put you because that's going to make me comfortable. Yes. If I put, if I put oh, you in a yes. certain place. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. That's huge. I mean, you see that happen a lot. Right. We see the power dynamics play out in really gross ways where um, <laughs> often when you see somebody who's intimidated by another person, what do they do? They try to remove the power from that yeah. other person. It happens all over the place. I'm sure it's happened to you. It's happened to me. Um, it's a really gross feeling. And I mm -hmm. think, I think ultimately, and I think you wrote about this, like what it can do to someone's self-confidence oh, is awful. It's awful. Yeah, it, it, it really is. Um, you know, I don't know if, if you ran across this in your studies, but, um, there's a leadership scholar by the name of Gail Avery. Um, and I love her work. And one of the things that she did is she broke leadership into paradigms over the course of time. And in the 21st century, a new paradigm, according to her research, has been created and is called organic leadership. And in that model, no one is designated a spot. Um, really what happens is that everybody, it is not necessarily that everybody finds their own place, but everybody has an ex has so much expertise in their area that they all contribute to the to the leadership decisions. Everybody does. And so someone may have a title, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they have command and control of the situation. They just may guide <laughs> the situation. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that because you know. Another thing that my indigenous colleagues helped me think about was I'm not sure, and I say this as an absolute proponent of servant leadership, I'm not sure servant leadership is the right terminology. Wow. Um, okay. I think I like organic leadership. I like spiritual leadership. I think there's a lot of different types. I still I still will ascribe to it. I still think Greenleaf's writings are amazing and the work that's come from it is amazing. But they brought up, you know, a really good point. They said, look, the word servant in different cultures is not positive. They're like, for us, we don't want to think of ourselves as servants. Like for us mm -hmm. culturally, that's not great. Mm -hmm. And I thought, gosh, that's such an interesting thing to think about from a DEI lens. Like does servant leadership it work? Is. <laughs> does it, it work? Is. I it is. So, you know, I had a colleague, um, 
<laughs> I remember I got I, I got onto one of the jobs and I and I had a colleague and I said, hey, you know, we have to do great customer service for folks on Cars Campus. And she goes, I, I don't like that term. And I was like, OK, well, you know, it, it, it's cool. You know, relax, relax. And so I kind of debated her a little bit on it. But then I just stopped and I said, well, wait a minute. You know, she she this re- this is really bugging her. So let me just let me just hear her out and hear what's going on. And she explained it to me and I said, okay, got it. Got it. I understand where you're coming from. So a little way down the line, like a year later, and you know, it's the very interesting thing started happening. Maybe like a year and a half later, I started to take more ownership of the definition of marketing on campus. And I started to push back a lot with people when, when basically they would treat us like the arts and craft shop and they would say, here, yeah. go ahead, make, you know, somebody literally said this, just make it pretty. And so, you know, I pushed back on that kind of stuff and I started saying, listen, listen, what we need to do is blah, blah, blah. How do you feel about that? I noticed I got more pushback. And so I went back to my colleague and I said, okay, now I know what's bugging you. I said, now I understand. I said, I, I, I didn't ignore you. But I really wanted to figure out what was really going on. And I said, now I get it. And the problem is, to your point and to your colleague's point, people see the word service and it takes them to a much different Mm -hmm. self-serving place Mm -hmm. um, that you were supposed to do something for me. And it's and excuse me, but I do think that what Greenleaf meant probably was is not necessarily do something for people, but you, you do something for the good of the situation, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't. Yeah. And I think Greenleaf Greenleaf was ahead of his time, right? He was started writing in the seventies and there, you know, he has writings where he says we need less white men in power. Like he was ahead of, I don't, so I don't think, uh, I mean, we could totally get into a very deep dive about this, but <laughs> I don't think that, was, you know, that's not the intention either. But I do, you know, they did give me that that idea of like, wow, I've got to be thinking about this differently. And, and as we move forward, like, does that terminology still work? Can it still work? Can we, yeah. I think also the idea of serving and for a lot of people is this feeling of being less than. Um, and mm-hmm. in some ways, you know, Greenleaf does ask us to be less than through humility, mm-hmm. um, but not. But, but, it, but is humility is humility less than? Right. No. Yeah. So, they, really, so there's yeah. another question on it. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much. This is why I love I love this work because there's so much to dig into. Like, it's just, yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah. So so let's let's shift gears a little bit, because, I mean, one thing that's come up so much, especially for those of us in higher ed, and and I've been very open and I've been public about saying this. And and I think I've been public about saying it because I think it needs to be said. But with my last opportunity, as much as I loved it, uh, what would happen with me is that I put so much of myself into it that I burned out. And I, and I literally checked every single box for burnout. I mean, like I, I looked up all the symptoms of burnout. I checked every single box. Um, and as much as I hate the way it, it ended with my last employer, um, it had to end at some point, you know. Um, that being said, there has been so much talk, especially in our community, the higher ed marketing community, about burnout and and people finding times for self-care because unfortunately it's kind of a 24-7 job a lot of times. Um, so in that spirit of servant leadership, 
organic leadership. <laughs> um, how how do you make time for self care? Maybe not you, not maybe not not you personally, but yeah. How do you see people making time for self care, especially when they are um, um, serving organizations, serving other people, serving communities? What do you yeah. see? You know how the universe delivers you messages over and over again sometimes until like, <laughs> yeah. you figure it out. Yeah. So for me, that's self-care. Like I spent, you know, most of my 20s and a good portion of my 30s just pouring out all the time and not understanding or or having boundaries. And um and I noticed that with a lot of people in higher ed, because I think what higher ed does attract is people who are you know, closely tied to the mission and yeah. are just givers yeah. and they are servant leaders. And um, and so I can share my first year at Montana. Um, I gained like 30 pounds. I didn't drink water. Like I think I was dehydrated for an entire year. Um, I didn't exercise. I wasn't sleeping well. I was really struggling with anxiety. Um, and I had to kind of have a come to Jesus with myself and do some self-parenting last year where it was like, I can't, this is awful. I'm not even taking, I'm not even drinking water. And so I started really small. And I think this is what, what I see with people who um, are really good at self-care is like, they're not doing big spa trips or like things like that. You know, it's like the little things that they do to take care of themselves. And a lot of what changed my mindset was reading Brad Stolberg's The Practice of Groundedness last year. Mm-hmm. And he wrote this you know, great book. It's a quick read, but it really is about developing this idea of a practice of staying grounded. And so when I had my kind of come to Jesus moment, I was like, gosh, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to drink a hundred ounces of water a day. And that was <laughs> yes, it. Yeah. That was the one thing. And when I started doing that, all of a sudden I started feeling better. I started losing weight. My skin looked so much better. And mm-hmm, I was like, mm-hmm. okay. And then slowly from that, it was like, okay, I'm going to make time throughout the day to go for a quick walk around campus. Um, I'm going to, you know, start a meditation practice. I still have a hard time. Um, I meditate before bed, but usually what that means is like I'm meditating for like 15 minutes and then I sleep while the rest of it happens. I use yeah. the insight timer for it. But I have found just these small ways um, of taking care of myself. And also, um, I think we have to keep in perspective our, our relationship with our employers and the organizations we work for. Uh, Teresa Valerio Parrott wrote this great piece, I think last year, and she had a line in it where it said, you know, these institutions are not going to love you back. Mm-hmm. And so I try yeah. to keep that in mind, right? Like we have to have perspective about, you know, we're give, we give our all, we're so invested, um, but we can't do it at the expense of our health or our family or our relationships. We have to just keep perspective of what's really important. So if people want to, well, no, when people want to go and check out the Servant Marketer podcast and 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 for, you know, for, if you're listening to this right now and you're not in marketing, you don't have to be, quite no. honestly. You really don't have to be to listen to the podcast. Um, so for folks to reach out to you or to listen to the podcast, where do they go? Yeah, I mean, you can find the Servant Marketer on all the streaming platforms, so Spotify, Apple Music, um, all over the place. There's also a website, servantmarketer.co, uh, that has all the episodes as well as um, some information from like when I was in my master's program. There's blogging and all sorts of stuff over there. Um, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter at I am Jenny Petty. Um, I'm not there as much as I used to be, but I am still there. 
<laughs> Very cool. Well, Jenny is the uh, host of the Server Marketer Podcast. She's a vice president for uh, marketing and communications at the University of Montana. Go Grizz. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> Jenny, thanks so much for joining me on For Our Edification. Thanks so much, Eddie. Pop, 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 yeah! So what have we learned here? Well, there are three things uh, that, that struck me. So the first thing is this. In listening to Jenny talk about servant leadership and her role as a marketer, it struck me that if done well, just about any job that you do can give you access to power. Now, before you freak out about the power word, if you're someone who is really into servant leadership or service, just hear me out here. Okay. So we, the way we view power and what we do with that power, uh, the way out we view the access, that is what really matters to me. And so you can look at access to power and you can look at it as self-serving or you can look at it as something that you use to serve others. And let me just say this. I mean, serving oneself is tremendously satisfying. OK, it really, really is. But serving others, it can be difficult. It can be thankless, but it can be quite the path to influence and leadership because you know what? You can get some of that back from people or you can simply get it back from karma, however you look at it. So the second thing that struck me about this is that I think we need to think very differently about service in American society. So I think that American society, we are so concerned about what other people think of us, regardless of our age. Okay, don't turn this into a social media thing. We had this attitude well before social media, but I think social media has aggravated it. But in leadership studies, there's this thing that uh, we study called locus of control. And there are two types. Uh, there's an internal locus of control. There's an external locus of control. So let's go with external first, because that suggests that our behavior is influenced from external factor factors or influenced by external factors. For example, you win a game because you feel you were just lucky, right? Or because the other team, they just aren't all that good. You believe that you lose a game because you aren't lucky enough or you lose because the opponent was just way too good for you. An internal locus of control suggests that you uh, are influenced by internal factors or your fate or your behavior, whatever you want to call it. You win a game because you believe you put in the work. You lose a game because you don't think you made the right decisions. I'm saying this because I think American society is filled to the brim with people who are experiencing this external locus of control, causing them to view service or servant leadership as a punishment because their view is on how others view them as the lowly servant, right? Or the lowly servant leader. But for those people who have an internal locus of control, I think that they may view servant leadership as a reward because their focus is on what they can control and how they can control, not necessarily how others view them, but how they view themselves. So my thing is this, I think if we gave much more consideration to an internal locus of control as servant leaders, then I think we can get the rewards that we really want to get whatever those rewards look like. Right. So here's the, the third thing and the final thing. 
Servant leadership, I learned, is in fact leadership. The service part is sharing power and resources to help others grow in some way, right? This is what Greenleaf talked about in his book, Servant Leadership. The leadership part, and let's let's look at leadership in its simplest form, is guiding people in a direction to accomplish something. So sharing, let's look at sharing as the seed for trust. You and I both know when you share with people, they trust you a little bit more. Trust grows into loyalty. And loyalty blossoms into progress. So none of this stuff is easy when it comes to servant leadership. But I do believe that the universe provides. So there's a lot to chew on right there. So, hey, many thanks to Jenny Petty for joining me on For Our Edification. Make sure you check out her podcast, The Servant Marketer. Uh, the link is in the show notes. And check out past episodes of For Our Edification by going to eddiefrancis.com. You can check out the video portion of this on YouTube. Or you can go wherever you get your podcasts. Download, give feedback, and share. I'm Eddie Francis for Dr. Halima Lee Francis. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of For Our Edification.